And Dr. Wang, you say this so calmly, and, and yet it just represents such incredible and horrific. I mean, how does that happen? Did you just wake up one night or wake up one morning and suddenly everything was closed? Were there any warning signs that something like this was going to happen? Um, over a few years from 1966, the, the Cultural Revolution started and the school graduate being shut down more and more. And eventually all universities and colleges were all shut down. And the deportation program that uh, deporting uh, every single high school graduate started. And a few years into it, um, uh, 20 million youth were deported and their future were lost. And uh, it was it's a really, really crazy period of time. In 1974, I was 14, finished my ninth grade. I was a straight student because I grew up in a very poor family. Um, to give you a sense how poor we were, the combined salaries of my parents, the combined salaries for both of them, every month were only $15. So mom and dad always said, study hard, study hard. Education was the only way to get out of poverty. So I was studying really hard. I was straight A, finished ninth grade, looking forward to attending 10th grade and beyond in 1974 at age 14, when the deportation order came down to me as well from the government. I got kicked out of school and I was never allowed to go back. And I was facing with this devastating failure of being sent away to labor camp for life. This is episode number 235 with Dr. Ming Wang. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the American Sippers Podcast. My name is Dave Brown. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have an incredible show for you today, an awesome guest. You're not going to want to miss this episode. I'm so glad that you're here. A lot of times here on American Sippets, we love sharing stories from people who have fled oppressive regimes and communist countries, and we featured many of them. And today's guest is a real treat, and it's a reminder of what I think America takes the most for granted, our citizens here, and that is our freedom. That is that we live in the United States of America. That is the privilege. And that's why people flee countries like China all the time to make it here in America because it's the land of the free. And today's guest, he was just eight years old when he came close to being executed by the communists in China. At age 14, he faced deportation to forced labor camps and spent years in a fight to escape that fate. His mother was beaten nearly to death by the notorious Red Coats, and yet his family never gave up hope that life would offer an opportunity to them to live free and full lives. Today, Dr. Ming Wang is a proud American citizen who has become a renowned eye surgeon. He dedicates himself to restoring vision to blind orphans from around the world. Uh, he was the inspiration for a character in the movie God's Not Dead, and in 2022, the movie Sight, based on his own story and starring Greg Kinnear, again, that will hit theaters in 2022. In this episode of American Sippets, Dr. Wang shares his incredible story of enduring and surviving the Chinese Cultural Revolution, his extraordinary path that led him to America, and how he restores sight to the blind. And he also discusses current events in America and what Americans need to do today to protect our freedom here at home. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Dr. Ming Wang. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. 
Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Today's guest is going to move you beyond belief, unless you have really no heart at all. But for the, for the average human being who thinks and feels and is impacted by powerful stories, sit down and buckle up because Dr. Ming Wang's story is really nothing short of incredible. I am so Happy and honored that our mutual friend Marie Cosgrove introduced us, Dr. Wang, and I'm so excited to get to share your story with our community today. I'm going to start off by popping up those of you catching this on video will be able to see this here, the copy of his book, uh, From Darkness to Sight, A Journey from Hardship to Healing, and it details specifically Dr. Wang's story of growing up in China and the oppression and horrific situations that he and his family endured and overcame with such grace and strength is really incredible. And how they all came to this country, Dr. Ming Wang is now the leading surgeon for, like he's the doctor's doctors is what they call him, right? He performs record-breaking eye surgeries to restore sight to people and help people improve their sight. We're going to get into all of that before I botch up the science behind what he does. We're going to let Dr. Wang tell it uh, properly. But most importantly, he's got some lessons and some comparisons I want people to pay attention to between things that he endured in China and which he and his family fled from and things that are happening here in this country now. We're going to compare and contrast that a little bit because it's so very important. Dr. Wang, thank you so very much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Thank you, Barbara. It's an honor, a pleasure to be on American Snippers. Appreciate it. I really, when when I sat down with your book and I was into just the first few pages, I literally had to just clear my schedule and just read this book. I was so drawn into it. Um, a, it's beautifully written and B, it is just so powerful and impactful. And I am so inspired by not just what your family and you went through, but how you went through it. And I I learned so much from you on the grace and strength that you and your family showed, how your parents set such a good example for you and how you stay true to your values all throughout your whole life and what you're doing now. So let's get into it a little bit and talk about your childhood, where you grew up. Thank you, Barbara. I grew up in China during a pretty crazy period of time called Cultural Revolution. From 1966 to 1976, the communist government decided the best way to keep on dictating is to keep people ignorant. The best way to keep people ignorant is to actually, believe or not, shut down all universities and colleges of entire China not just for a day or two, for 10 years, and forcefully send away to labor camp every single high school graduate. So over 10 years of cultural revolution or cultural holocaust, really, by shutting down all universities and colleges of entire China for their 10 years, they send away to labor camp 20 million high school graduates. So I I grew up in that crazy period of time. Just that little bit alone, should really just floor everybody who heard it. And Dr. Wang, you say this so calmly, and, and yet it just represents such incredible and horrific. I mean, how does that happen? Did you just wake up one night or wake up one morning and suddenly everything was closed? Were there any warning signs that something like this was going to happen? Um, over a few years from 1966, the, the Cultural Revolution started and the school graduate being shut down more and more, and eventually all universities and colleges were all shut down. 
and the deportation program that uh, deporting uh, every single high school graduate started. And a few years into it, um, uh, 20 million youth were deported and their future were lost. And uh, it was it's a really, really crazy period of time. In 1974, I was 14, finished my ninth grade. I was a straight student because I grew up in a very poor family. Um, to give you a sense how poor we were, the combined salaries of my parents, the combined salaries for both of them, every month were only $15. So mom and dad always said, study hard, study hard. Education was the only way to get out of poverty. So I was studying really hard. I was straight A, finished ninth grade, looking forward to attending 10th grade and beyond in 1974 at age 14, when the deportation order came down to me as well from the government. I got kicked out of school and I was never allowed to go back. And I was facing with this devastating failure of being sent away to labor camp for life. So let, let's explain that a little bit. I had to really read that and reread that to, to believe it when it happened. Um, that what, you know, what is the labor camp? So you're 14 years old and the government yeah. can then take you remove yeah. you from your home and your family and yes. ship you off to some part of the country where you have to live the rest of your life? Yes. And uh, it's a forced sport deportation program, uh, either from junior high school graduate or senior high school graduate, actually, particularly senior high graduate, because they shut down all universities and colleges anyway, so there was no place to go. So they will force each high school graduate, the moment you graduate from high school, you will be deported to some of the poorest part of the country and condemned a lifetime of poverty and hard labor. What they did is they changed your, what they call registration, meaning your legal status of being able to live, a, you know, live in a city. They will change that registration to that um, poor part of the country. So it will then become illegal for you to even come back to live in the city. So they literally condemn you to a lifetime poverty. 20 million young people for wow. life. Did you have friends who, who were mm. deported? Yes, yes. It was single biggest fear for all the young people during that period of time. And I talk about in my biography that many, many young people were fought with their life trying to avoid being sent away to a labor camp. And if you try to do that, you try to escape that, come back to the city, you could be jailed. Oh my gosh. And you and your family came up with a very creative way for you to avoid that. Talk about that. Yes. In order to avoid this devastating fate of uh, being sent away to labor camp for life at age 14 after ninth grade, my parents came up with a way that maybe I could learn uh, play a to play a music instrument, in this case, a Chinese violin, Erhu, E-R-H-U, or learn to dance. Because if you could do that, you might be able to get into what they call communist song and dance propaganda troops. If you could do that, you might be able to avoid being sent away to labor camps, being allowed to stay in the cities because communist governments didn't need musicians and dancers in the cities. Wow. Imagine being a parent. And when I read the part, um, if I got this correct, your parents were given a choice to spare you from deportation, but then your younger brother would have to be deported. Yeah. And so yeah. they literally had to make a decision between their two children 
Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was so inhumane. Yeah. It was an impossible decision of any parents. Among, let's say you have three children, you have to select one, and the government allow that one not to be deported, mm. and the rest will be deported. What that means, the rest will be condemned to a lifetime of poverty and hard labor in some poorest part of the country. I mean, how could any parent make a decision, make a selection among his or her children? That was just so inhumane. Yeah, and the rationale that your parents were using to think it through and come to their decision just broke my heart. I was just feeling for your, you know, for I am a mom, so I'm feeling for your mom, you know, as she's in that position yes. and imagine having to do that to my own children. And I, I had to actually put the book down at that point and, and walk away because it was so upsetting to me and so disturbing to think about that. But how are you guys all, let's talk first about, there was an event, I think that happened when you were eight years old. At, um, let's talk about that for a minute. When I was eight, uh, that was 1968. Yeah. The cultural revolution was in full throttle. And, uh, I, um, that they basically were capturing and arresting anybody who they could accuse of being uh, counter-revolutionary. So at, at age eight, one day I was in school and I was playing around with um, a little chalk, chalk on the little windowsill and I was writing down, we have a teacher, uh, teacher Zhao, Z-H-A-O, he was a wonderful teacher, but he was condemned by the government to be counter-revolutionary. So all of us were supposed to write down with teacher Zhao. So I wrote that down with teacher Zhao and window seal. And then I wrote long, uh, long with long live chairman Mao, the dictator. Then I didn't think too much about it, but then some other kids come along and uh, erase the teacher Zhao. So what I wrote on the window seal in school become down with long live chairman Mao. So it was discovered by the school and they, thought this was a, such a blatant, uh, evil uh, conspiracy of some big evil forces <laughs> committed by a year-old of counter-revolutionary act. So I was basically arrested uh, and uh, regarded as a counter-revolutionary. And uh, I was going to be put in jail at age eight. Uh, I committed no crime. And uh, what that means is that I will receive what my parents were told, a black dot in my in my record, what that means, I will never be able to find a job or being admitted to any school ever for my lifetime. And my parents had to plead with the school. He was just eight year old. He was just writing something. Somebody else changed anything. Totally innocent. But finally, uh, the school barely showed in love leniency and did not, um, uh, you know, classify me as a counter revolutionary. <laughs> So, but they did strip me all of all honors as a student. I had to start all over again. And I was put in the classroom, way in the corner, being discriminated against. Just to show how crazy the period is. In the movie, Side, based on my autobiography, From Darkness to Side, has a scene very similar to that. It was just incredible. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that movie here in a little bit, but I'm still kind of sucked into your actual story now. Let's move ahead. There's so much in between. How you learned to play that instrument in freezing cold weather. You guys had no heat, no hot water in your home, but you still 
like pushed yourself as a child. I mean, I'm thinking going outside. I know I don't even want to go like out in winter sports once I get like, you know, cold, right? It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant to be cold enough. But you were this little child and pushing yourself to learn to play this instrument. That's how how desperate yes. you were. Yeah, we had no electricity, no air conditioning, no heater. Uh, yeah, we have a little bit of electricity. Uh, enough, the whole house was one little lamp. And my father has used that little eight watt lamp. Eight watt is means what? It's regular bulb is like 40 watts. There's right. one eighth of the electricity. Wow. That's all we had, the whole family. So he has to use that little watts to read books. That's pretty much instilled in my young age that study hard, you know, to make something of yourself. But in terms of playing the instrument, I had to play the Chinese violin or who, uh, not for love of music, right. but for the sheer need to survive because I had to get into the communist song and dance propaganda troupe in order to avoid, even though I was chosen to stay home, but if I do not find, did not find a gainful employment, such as the song and dance propaganda troupe, I could still be sent away to labor camp as such. So I was playing, the, practicing the instrument day and night in freezing cold. And my hands, as all the blisters formed and start bleeding, I still had to play. To this day, I, was, I still have scars on my hand that, from those blisters. And I was playing a piece written by a blind artist called Two Springs Reflecting the Moon to show how beautiful it could have been if he could see. And he could not see. He was just imagining how beautiful it is. So, so the whole piece is sad, for, uh, filled with unfulfilled uh, longing. So at the age 14, I was resonating with the sad feeling of this, the sad feeling of this composer. He yeah. could not see physically, I could not see mentally any future. Wow, and how that, how that right there ties into where you took your life and what you're doing today is really strong and powerful too. I'm going to take a minute here again to encourage everybody. There is so much more in between Dr. Wang's story that we're not going to be able to get into here right now. So please pick up this book from darkness to sight. I'm going to link it. I'm going to say that over and over because I cannot emphasize enough how great this book is and how much you want to read it and learn from his story. But it gets to the point now you were 21 years old. You had I see, I said that, but now I have to go back and talk about this one more incident in, in your life where um, your mother went to the university to defend the, the classroom, right? To yes. Talk about that one night and then we'll move forward to when you, when you left China. So that was in the heat of Cultural Revolution, the, uh, the people, the riots, the Red Guards, they were coming to destroy the university and all laboratory. My mom uh, went to ran to the school to protect the university and the laboratory. She was a professor, right? Yes, yes, yes. And my, my dad and I uh, brought me, brought, uh, took me on his shoulder and ran to the university and tried to catch my mother, but she was run so fast, <laughs> ran to the university to protect. But when we got to university, the whole university was blocked by the Red Guards and they were beating every single teacher emerged uh, back up from the university and beat them to death. So my mother was beaten and almost to death, almost died. He has like 40 some fractures throughout oh her body gosh. and bed rest for like two years. For the, her only crime was trying to protect her classroom, protect university laboratory. And these same incidentals was also depicted in the film site. Your parents are so brave. 
<laughs> that is what I have to say about that. I'm actually like moved to tears. I mean, the courage that they showed and the and the strength is just unbelievable. I'd like to think that I would be that courageous or that brave. You know, we all want to think that we mm. are. I don't know. I can't say that I would be. I'd like to think that I would be, but your parents, without a doubt, are, as is your whole family. And unbelievable. Let's move ahead to now you're 21 years old. And, but miraculously, I guess we do have to fill in some blanks because you were kicked out of school, but then the chairman dies and, and everything changes. And you're giving some, I mean, one in how many millions of shot to get yeah. into university. Let's get into that because that's really, that's crazy too. <laughs> so that was the uh, 10, 10 year into cultural revolution from 1966 to 1976, uh, when the, uh, dictator died. So China realized what a tragic mistake it has had made by having the Cultural Revolution, by having shut down universities and colleges of an entire country for the 10 years, by having deported 20 million high school graduates to labor camp for life. So they stopped the Cultural Revolution, reopened all the colleges, and mom and dad came home one day and they said, man, there's a chance to go back to school. I thought I would never be able to hear that in my lifetime. And I said, when? My mom said, maybe tomorrow. I said, well, I, uh, three years ago, I was 14. I got kicked out of school after ninth grade. I had not been in school in the last three years, you know, been studying music, dancing outside the school to try to avoid being sent away to labor camp. Now there's a chance to go back to school. Should I go back tonight? And my dad said, no, higher. I said, 10th? He said, no, higher. I said, 11th? He said, no, higher. I said, wait a minute. You want me to go back to school tomorrow, but you want me to jump three years ahead overnight from 9th to 12th, having never studied 10th, 11th, 12th? He said, yes. I said, um, why? I, why can I wait for three years? Mom said, you know, right now this college entry exam is being resumed, but there's no telling that government could change their mind next year and stop the, culture, uh, you know, the college entry exam for another 10 years. So this may be your only year to get in college. You have, you have to jump three years overnight. Then I said, even if I magically become a 12th grader tomorrow, covering three years worth of course overnight, so what's my chance of getting into college as a 12th grader? And mom said, about 1%. So that was impossible. So my parents <laughs> said, we're going to help you. So during daytime, they were working very hard. At night, they borrowed some old review questions. But we were so poor that we didn't have money to Xerox anything. Like that. So mom and dad, they found little pieces of papers throughout the house and hand copied those questions onto these little papers. And every night drill me with these pieces piece of papers containing those questions. They made me study 19, 20, 21 hours a day. I almost killed myself studying. But I was driven by the fear that I did not want to return to the darkness. And however small the chance, however small the hope for future, I was going to do everything that I could. So I did better get into college, but I did not want you know, have anything to do with the dictators anymore. So 1982, at age 21, um, with $50 borrowed from a visiting American professor with a student visa, with an English-Chinese dictionary, I was dropped at National Airport, Washington, D.C. With that $50, knowing no one in this country could hardly speak English, even though I was poor, but I was happy because I have the freedom. Wow. I mean, just to think 
of that flight and what that was like and landing here and in your book, um, I want to ask you a couple things. We'll get back to your story. You talk about things that you noticed about America first, right? You know, you noticed, um, well, you, you made this one comment and I'll, I'm going to quote the book. They say living in a one party system is difficult to imagine for anyone who's used to having choices in the United States. People are allowed to have opinions about things. They can align themselves with any number of ideologies and they can vote along a number of party lines. Do you still think you, you still think all of this is true? Yes. Absolutely. I always say, even though America is not a perfect nation and we have got our problems here and there's much to be improved, but it's still the best country on this planet. And then people say, okay, I mean, you always talk about America is the best country. Give me a proof. Give me a proof. And I say, I'll give you a proof. We have an immigration problem. That's that with I, right? We do not have an immigration problem that start with E, that everybody wants to leave. So why people from all over the world, including myself, will be fighting so hard to have an opportunity? And you know, think about some of those immigrants, some of the even illegal immigrants, they, they try everything, even putting their lives on the line to, so that, that, that they could have a chance. But think about, they, they feel that Whatever is waiting for them on the other side is worth all the sacrifice. So what is waiting for them on the other side? An opportunity to live in America. That is why America is the best country on this planet. Because despite our problems, we are still so more, so much more blessed in America than so many other countries. I love that. And I love that you continue repeating that message and that that is so important to you. And again, we're going to come back to that later, but I wanted to touch on that now because I'd like to get into what you're doing now. You're doing extraordinary work now. Let's talk about that. Um, I uh, build a nonprofit. I have two nonprofit organizations. Um, I actually own the board of eight nonprofits, but two or three of them I spend most of the time. One is the Side Restoration Foundation, where I aggregated eye surgeons from all over the world. Uh, we speak different languages um, from different countries, different, uh, different ethnicities, but our common ground in the Side Foundation is, to, is the love for uh, blind orphan children. And uh, we uh, work with missionaries from all over the world, identify blind orphan children, and then we try to bring them, we, we brought many of them to America, and uh, we try to help them with the latest medical technology. With all the doctors, we donate our services. Sometimes, you know, friends say, I mean, why are you so, you know, motivated to spend so much part of your life to help these blind orphan children? And um, my answer is very simple, because I used to suffer. I used to be in darkness, you know, mental darkness, physical darkness, and I feel so connected with um, the blind orphan children who are living in darkness. I can feel their pain and suffering. And the other nonprofit I spend lots of time is our nonprofit for Common Ground Network to study how we can help all of us to find common ground. Because America today is so, so hyper-polarized. That means we're increasingly fixated on our differences rather than 
appreciating what we have in common. You know, and that's such a deadly spiral of polarization will really, really just will destroy a country. And why we're so polarized? I think fundamentally it's because we have forgotten how blessed we are being able to live in America. So I want to use my work. I use the study of the Common Ground Network to study how to help people find Common Ground to remind all of us how blessed we are living in America. We should continue appreciate what we all have in common rather than being fixated, being divided by focusing what we are different. That is so very true. And I think Dave and I say that off enough, but I don't think it carries as much power or as much weight from us as it does from you because of your life experience and what you've seen and what you can compare and contrast to, like you, you know, absolutely without a doubt what can happen if this country becomes undone and gives in to some of the forces and powers that are struggling to control it now. But I think it's still very hard for a lot of Americans to grasp that that could happen. It seems like something out of a movie. It seems like so, a lot of times, so many people have a hard time thinking that anything terrible could really happen to them or the world that they see or believe in. They just feel like it's impossible. But yet, you know absolutely that it's true. And so I would hope that people listening take extra time to actually consider who who you're hearing this from. You know, it's one thing to hear it from me, but to hear it from from you, Dr. Wang, I think carries an entirely different weight. And um, we're going to get back into that in a minute. Let's talk about the work you do as a surgeon and and the levels that you've reached in your field? Um, I specialize in laser vision correction. So I perform laser cataract surgery, LASIK surgery to help people gain freedom from dependence on glasses and contact lenses. For example, LASIK surgery, the latest technology is called SMILE, small incision LASIK. For contact lenses, for example, in the COVID-19 time, it's no longer as safe to put in and take all your contacts. So at One Vision here in Nashville, Tennessee, we actually have technology called implantable contact lens. We put the contact lens literally inside your eye, so you never need to remove it. And for people over age 45, I know, Barbara, that doesn't apply to you, but it does apply oh, to yes, me. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> As we get older, we can develop a problem with reading up close. And we used to have no treatment for that. So I used to joke to, with my patient that, you know, you get older, it's not your eye problems, your arms getting shorter, that's all. <laughs> so I call it short arm syndrome. And for some reason that, never, that I never un, had understood that none of my patients had been willing to have their arms lengthened. So it didn't work, <laughs> the short arm syndrome treatment. But now we don't have to lengthen your arms. We do have a technology called Forever Young Lenses. We can actually improve both distance and near vision for people over age 45 uh, without having to lengthen their arms. And finally, we have laser cara surgery. And also part of my work is, has to do with sight restoration for blind orphan children. And um, I wanted to develop a technology for so many years to help these trauma patients, patients with injuries, and uh, which depict quite a bit in the film Sight, based on my autobiography, From Darkness to Sight. But I found that if in order to do this research, I have to use fetal tissue, young tissue, stem cells. 
And uh, I did not feel right. I became a Christian by that point, and I felt that life is sacred. We should not touch life for the sake of research. But at the same time, I'm a scientist. I wanted to help patients with trauma, with injury, with aging. Like, you know, there are many conditions in the eye, uh, diabetes, glaucoma, macular degeneration, all these. In order to read the research, you have to study young tissue. So I got stuck. What to do? Should I, should I not use fetal tissue? But fortunately, I did not give up. I persisted. I trust that God will show us the way, even though the solution may not be obvious at the time. We got to believe in him, have confidence, have faith that he will show his way at his time. And uh, I persisted that research, trying to study this research without using fetal tissue for nearly 20 years. Finally, I came across um, the placenta you know, the, the, the amniotic sacs around each um, uh, kid, a child before the child is born. So after the child is born, the placenta is always discarded anyway. So I recovered those placenta, brought them to the laboratory, bioengineered the placenta amniotic sac into placenta amniotic contact lenses. And then I uh, put these youthful healing placenta contact lenses onto older patients' eyes, onto eyes of patients who have injury and trauma, who needs youthful healing. And it worked. I uh, got two US patents for the amniotic membrane contact lenses. And so one placenta donated by one mother after giving birth uh, to a child can be made into 100 little amniotic membrane contact lenses. So therefore has the potential to restore eyesight in 100 older adults or people with injury and trauma. To date, I'm very happy to report that amniotic membrane contact lens has been used now being over 10,000 eye doctors throughout the world in nearly every nation. And millions of patients have had their eyesight improved or restored with that technology. How does that feel to know that you did that? And when you look back, you know, do you wish you could reach back to that little eight-year-old boy in China and say, hey, you know, you are going to do amazing things with your life one day, you know, and comfort that little eight-year-old boy. Would you ever imagine as that eight-year-old boy that you're going to be sitting here in America impacting the lives of what is going to be millions of people around the world by the, you know, by the time time passes and, and it's something huge too, not even in a little way. You're impacting lives in a gigantic way. How does that, how does that feel to know that you've achieved yeah. that? What I've learned, Barbara, the most important thing to be a human being is to have that vision. For example, you asked the question, that how would I ever imagine as an eight-year-old being almost declared as a counter-revolutionary, put into jail <laughs> right. in, the, in the communist government, that one day would be able to even imagine the opportunity that I have, the difference that I could make. And I think this has to do with vision. For example, at that time, even though we were so poor and uh, I, I, did, I never grew up with any toy, all the toys I had in my life, I actually made it as a kid. I made each of the toys myself with my hand, with the paper. So for example, in the movie Sight, again, there was a little paper boat I made as a kid and that little paper boat uh, appeared throughout the movie. So in terms of vision, 
what happened was my parents, despite the uh, subsist poor living condition of our family at the time, somehow they had the vision. They saw in me that potential, that promise. So despite how difficult, how poor we were, they were insistent. I should study hard, I study education will um, give me a chance. So, you know, today we talk about uh, many families that in the difficult circumstances that if the parents could have that vision, see in their kids their potential. You know, we talk about parents make sacrifices, but sacrifice for what? For that vision they have in that, that they see in their kids. And for myself, I fought very hard throughout the life, as you read in the book, uh, overcoming one obstacle after another. But then you say, why? It's not just about working hard. It's about working hard with a purpose. It's about working hard because I saw a vision, saw a potential in myself that I could become something. I would be able to be able to do something. And the, the vision, the concept of vision that, uh, that pretty much goes through all my lifetime. For example, I was discriminated against by uh, some people after I came to America. Uh, a professor told me that I'm a Chinese, I'm no good, I will not be able to get into medical school like American students. In that case, he did not have the vision to see my capability beyond the, the color of my skin and my ethnicity. So now coming back, look at our country. What we need also today is a vision to see that no matter how much problem we have, how many things we, we do need to improve, whether it's race relation, uh, poverty, and the uh, opioid crisis, and all these things are challenges. But the vision that we should have is that we are so blessed as a nation, designated by God as a beacon of hope to show humankind that it's possible to form a nation, to have freedom and liberty, responsibility and the sense of being able to find a common ground. So we need to have that vision. It's that vision will encourage all of us to be willing to reach the other side of the aisle, to build a relationship uh, with someone who think differently from us, and to be able to be more willing to seek the common ground rather than settling with the division, polarization, and destruction. So my life shows that we all need to live with that vision, what we could become, where our country is, and where country could go, rather than go the other way. And uh, you mentioned that my message, uh, you know, is powerful, and because of my life experience, um, yes, you know, I always thought about the people that I take care of every day, people with vision problems, you know, who appreciate sight the most, Barbara, are those who used to be blind who appreciate freedom the most are you those used to not have who used to not have freedom and i'm someone like that i used to not have freedom so today my message is like it's about vision it's about sight it's like it's like i'm used to be blind and come to share with all of you the sighted folks how precious sight is i'm someone who used to not have freedom then i come to share with all the folks in america today who have the freedom how precious freedom is. Yes, I, I could not say that more on point, 
myself than than you just had. Can I ask you, because I'm I'm very curious to know your thoughts on this, um, about the the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates that are coming out. Do you see or in your mind, is that is that how it should be? Or do you see you know, some of the country thinks, of course, you should lock people down. And of course, you should force them to have vaccines and wear the masks. And the other half of the country is saying, oh, no, you're not going to lock me down. And you can't force me to have a vaccine. And, you know, that half of the country believes that that's the, the slope that is beginning to take away our freedoms, while the other half believes that this half is wrong. You know, so what it, where, do you have an opinion mm -hmm. on that that you're, you're willing yeah. to share? Uh, absolutely. I think the biggest problem that in our society today, not having a vision what this country is and what country could become and being bogged down by the deep polarization. Polarization has two definitions. One is increasing fixation or differences rather than appreciating what we have in common. And second is increased fixation on power alliances rather than the merit of issue. In March 2020, I, I was seeing what happened, those virus in China, in Europe, in Italy, and it was began to uh, land in America. And I was worried because I knew how deadly the virus is based on the data from other scientists around the world. And I was worried that America, despite our best healthcare system, despite the uh, economic power, we may not be able to handle this virus well, not because of lack of technology, not because of lack of resources, but because of polarization, which is an increased fixation on, on power different uh, alliances rather than the merit of the issue. I was worried that America will not realize that this is a medical issue, not a political one. Last time I checked, this virus doesn't care, you're blue or red, it will infect you anyway. So what I fear the most, March 2020, turned out to be, sadly, turned out to be true. America has 4% of world population, 25% of COVID death. Why this country has done so poorly among the industrialized countries, one of the poor in terms of result of COVID management? Why? I think it's because of the polarization, the politicization of a medical issue. I mean, it's a fault on both sides, the blue and the red. You know, I mean, we should, you know, the, the, the issue of vaccine, issue of uh, lockdown, issue of um, testing, it should be exclusively a fact-based medical issue. You know, what are the evidence? What are the evidence that supporting the vaccination, supporting the testing, supporting the lockdown, supporting the, um, the mass wearing? You know, but there's so much polarization, so much a politicalization of a medical issue that both sides, you listen, you listen to CNN, you listen to Fox News, both are biased mm -hmm. for its own agenda. So that is the problem that where the party interest rise above the interest of the nation, rise above the interest of people. That is the deadliness of this polarization. So, so COVID has revealed an even bigger virus in all of us, and that's the virus of polarization, an increased fixation on differences rather than appreciating what we have in common, an increased fixation on power alliances rather than focusing on the merit of the issue itself. And the vaccine 
against that virus of polarization is the finding of common ground to be able to see how can we just kind of sit back and to take all, put our emotion on the side and think about, and by the way, the media and social media only made it worse, as you know. They took advantage of our emotional elephant in us and to make us react emotionally rather than think logically. So uh, ever since the virus started, March 2020, I started process with my pastor, uh, Pastor Rice Brooks. We built this common ground network and study how we can help ourselves find the common ground. And we just published a common ground Bible study recently and uh, talk about what part of scripture that has to do with God's instruction to us as a Christian and for non-Christian like that as a human being, how we should find a common ground, why we should find a common ground and how should we do it. And we came up with the common ground seeking steps, S-T-E-P-S. S stands for you got to see, you got to have the vision to see that the appreciation of how precious this country is, how much we need to protect America rather than seeing destroyed. And we need to find that common ground. So that's number one. C, e, uh, T, uh, trade places. We should try to learn how to speak in the language of the listener. And E, empathy. Being willing to uh, look at issue from the other side. Develop a love for fellow human beings. And P, we realized that to find a common ground, to be able to overcome the difference, there's a price to pay. There will be a criticism and a nation from some of your friends. But if it's the right thing to do, right thing for our nation, then we should do it. And finally, the S is to put into action, see common ground. Actually, uh, Jesus Christ, his life was our inspiration to formulate this common ground seeking steps. But the motivation behind all that, the common ground seeking, at the end of the day, is the sense of appreciation of America to realize that it's a, such a precious country. We should, as citizens of this uh, great nation, that's us who are so lucky to be able to live here with the rest of the world, people are fighting sometimes with their lives to have the chance to come to live in America. We should appreciate much, um, so much more America. We should look at the cup is half full rather than keep on complaining the cup is half empty. Yes, I could not agree more. And thank you for sharing that with us. I am one of those people who is so, I, I don't even know what to believe anymore, you know? And, and so that just makes you angry and frustrated, right? Because I feel like we get some truth from here, some truth from there, lies from here, lies from there. And, you know, and so I've chosen to, in terms of the vaccine, I'm sitting back until I figure out if, who's, who's right, who's wrong, what's right, what's wrong, you know, for me. Um, and so I still don't, I still don't know who to believe. I, I can find research and data proving one position and proving the other as well. And so I, I you know, I, I don't um, know I, what to think about it. Uh, um, I have two, two little tricks uh, Baba, I'll yeah. share with you. One, I will listen to CNN for its criticism of the progressives. I will listen to Fox News for its criticisms of conservatives. <laughs> so only 5% of each station will do that. But right. that is, tends to be the truth. And second little trick I found to try to distill the objective information from a sea of biased information is I look at the data outside the United States. Because right. in many countries like um, Italy, South Korea, Japan, 
uh, many other countries, they don't have the red and blue issue. Right. So sometimes some of the data scientifically is more reliable. Yes, that's, that's actually a good point. And so I will look outside of there. And I, I have looked into some of the studies from other countries, but not in depth. And it just, it, once you start, you just don't stop. You know, you, you uncover one thing, they say, oh, well, that leads to this question. Now I have to find that out. Now I have to find that out. And then three, four hours I've gone by and I've done nothing but read these articles and try to figure this out. And usually I'm more confused than when I started. <laughs> and uh, uh, and, and along, so, the, along the process, yeah. the Barbara, that for its economic gain, yeah. face, Facebook, for example, they will... Um, uh, that actually nudge us into a self reticulization process. That they once they find out your viewpoint, they will keep on feeding what you like to do, keep on driving you right. towards the extreme, and uh, they'll drive another person to the other extreme. So it's so bad. I mean, I I hate dictatorship. You know, as I talked about that, I, I don't want America to go there. We that the, the, I live through the most extreme form of polarization, which is dictatorship. America don't go there, and we could we're critical of these countries, the communist country that they are dictating people's behavior through political dictatorship. But in many ways, you think of what's happening in this country. These big media companies, the social media, Facebook, they are also dictating our behaviors by selectively for its economic gain selectively um, nudge us uh, without us even realizing into a very a extreme form of political behavior for us continue to be glued to these uh, Facebook posts. So it's another form of dictatorship. We need to realize that um, that form of dictatorship, the economic dictatorship, the, the, the profit dictatorship, if right. you will, by the social media companies. Yeah, that's true. When I see a post about a bill, one side or the other saying, this bill, you know, the voting rights bill wants to do this or that. I don't read the article anymore. I click on the link and I read the bill and, mm. and I take notes and I try to figure that out. Yes. And so, you know, that's how I come to my conclusions. But when it comes to reading medical data, like clicking on a link and reading a research article and trying to interpret medical data, I have a harder time doing that because I'm not educated in the medical field, you know? So, but I think that is important important advice for everybody to listen to. And I, would you say like, if everybody just kind of took a step back for a minute and you know, before you just start clicking on the keyboard and attacking and sharing, like just whatever side you're on, just take a step back and kind of consider the points and do a little actual research on your own. Yes. That, yes. that could and help. Yes. As I said, it's the S T E P S, the steps, yeah, the go. common ground seeking steps. S is to see we need to, it's almost like husband and wife, Barbara. Think about if the uh, the mindset of husband and wife is that that's look all for our differences. You right. know, the marriage will be terrible because right. there's always differences. <laughs> but if you change that mindset, 180 degrees, say that, honey, how about this way? We do have differences, <laughs> but let's look for what we have in common. That will change the entire uh, marriage, you know, from a negative one to a positive one. So the steps the, to see there's a common ground. We, uh, what's the common ground for all of us is our love for America. Mm -hmm. Our desire to see our country become stronger rather than being weakened. And T, trade places. Um, can we put ourselves in other people's shoes to think about it, to look at the perspective? E, empathy. You know, we tend to talk, talk, talk. But at the Common Ground Network, Dr. Pass, uh, Rice Brooks and I, we advocate uh, the, what Pastor Rice called the SALT principle, S-A-L-T. 
S, start a conversation first. A, ask a question. L, listen. And then, and only then, T, talk. That process help us reduce our emotion, let us be more willing to be um, civilly dialogue to talk about. Because nobody's absolutely right, nobody's absolutely wrong. There's always element of truth and uh, you know, correct, uh, incorrectness, but let's try to exchange, build that relationship. And P is the price one has to pay. It's against the trend to see common ground. It is against the trend to see common ground today. Everything is polarized. Why? For power and money. So we yeah. need to realize that there's a human nature that embedded in. We need to resist the polarization to realize that we got a too good a country in America here today. Don't screw it up. Love it. Um, so as an American and as somebody, you know, I lost my husband in service. Yes, defending yes, America's yes, core going. values. Yes. I appreciate so much hearing you say that. And it sort of reinforces why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm now engaged. My fiance and I, this is American Snippets. Part A big reason why we're doing it is to be the common ground or to, you know, to reinforce the, the common ground, which is our patriotism and our love of country by our way of doing that is by highlighting people like you in our country, you know, it's not the politics, it's the, the people in, in the country. And so we just keep finding amazing people like you, but your story is among, is among the most powerful for, for your insight and your experience. And I love that. And as somebody who had terrible vision and got a very bad version of LASIK surgery years ago, that still was life-changing for me. It made a change. I could open up my eyes and see without contacts or glass. It was amazing. Now my eyesight's going again. So I'm kind of grieving that, but I had that span, you know, where I, I can't imagine having eyesight that was worse than mine, you know? And I mean, I can imagine it. So I, I can, I have some, some taste, some idea, some concept of what it must mean to have, to go through your, you know, to, to meet you and have you impact life, like f to have no vision or even worse vision and to be given that sight when it was so important for me and so huge for me to open my eyes and, and see when I could already see with glasses or contacts. Right. So, but I still appreciated it so much, um, when that happened to me. So I cannot, uh, you know, I'm imagining the people whose lives are impacted when I read these stories of the children in particular, um, who come to you after going through such horrific <laughs> experiences and the people who come forward, right, to take these children under their wings and go to such extremes to get them here, to bring them to you, to help them and and adopt them. It just, you all prove to me again that there is more good in this world than than evil. And you guys are a shining example of that. I cannot wait to see the movie when it comes out. When is that coming out? In January? Yeah, the movie Sight, uh, co-starring Greg Kinnear, one of the Hollywood actors, will come out um, early 2022. And movie Sight, I've got a little card here, that uh, movie Sight is um, based on my autobiography from Darkness to Sight. And the message is a message of hope, is a message of vision. Um, basically, we, uh, through my life experience, I learned there's more to life than what we see. We, as parents, we need to see the potential in our children. Um, as a people, we need to see beyond somebody's uh, skin color or ethnicity to see the true potential. 
as a nation, as a people, we need to see beyond our conflict and the problems today that in its core, America is a shining pearl in the world, a beacon of hope. And we have every reason to protect America. And especially for me, it's an honor to, for me to talk to you, Barbara, about, you know, that, that your, the sacrifice, I mean, your husband made the ultimate sacrifice. You know, what made freedom possible in America? It didn't come free. You know, it's the sacrifice because of folks like your husband put their lives on the line because of millions of people, soldiers and so many to defend our nation. It's because of the constitution, the system that um, protect the citizenship, the freedom, liberty. So America to me is about freedom, common ground, and faith and responsibility. Each of us have the responsibility to, um, to protect it, to protect America. For example, uh, there's a current one uh, ongoing polarized viewpoint, which I disagree, is the association of um, discrimination versus failure. Or someone who's discriminated, therefore, uh, someone must fail. You know, no. I, as an Asian American, I think Asian Americans have provided a uh, inconvenient uh, example, so to speak, to that theory <laughs> of association of uh, yes. discrimination and failure. Yes. Because Asian Americans are discriminated in many ways, as I have been as well. However, Asian Americans are not failures; has been somewhat su- reasonably successful. So the point is that don't consider one ourselves to be a victim. We should see ourselves to be the victor. The difference between regarding oneself to be a victim and believing oneself to be the victor is all in how you see it. From great suffering can come great um, achievement, great work. So I really feel that it's the matter of vision. We all need to develop a vision seeing beyond the current crisis our country is facing to recognize that we are still so blessed because of sacrifice the veterans, because of the sacrifice so many people, our founding father, the U.S. Constitution, what America is all about, the tradition. We need to protect it because those are the gems that attract people from around the world. And I can speak to that because I'm one of those immigrants who appreciate America so much that I did everything possible to come to live here. And you're one of those people that our country is blessed that you did. So thank you. And and to your family, um, I wish you nothing but happiness and health and continued success in our country. We will continue to support. We will put the links to your nonprofits in our article, and we will share that out. We'll continue to do so when your movie comes out. We will share that out. Um, I will put links to your amazing book. Everybody go read this book, but sit down and prepare to just have your mind blown when you read this book. And it's going to move you. Reading this book will actually change you if you absorb it properly. It'll change the way you see things, your perspective on things. And that will be a good thing. It'll be a gift. Um, You realize how much you take for granted in our everyday life. And that's, I think, an important step as well in this process. So Dr. Wang, really thank you so very much for everything you're doing and for taking the time to be a part of our little show here, American Snippets. We really appreciate you. What you're doing is so important, Barbara, American Snippets, because it's to provide a conduit 
so that people will be able to hear the perspectives and life experiences from people who, you know, have something to share, have struggled through, and have something to share. It's so important to open the channel communication that allow people to learn the life's lessons and stories from other people. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Excellent. And if people want to find out more about you and your book and movie and your work, what's a, what's a website they can go to? Uh, it's very easy. DrMingWang.com. So D-R, yeah, D-R-M-I-N-G-W-A-N-G. Great. And we'll, again, put that in a, in the links in our article. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you might want to take a few extra minutes and hop on over to watch the video as well, because we are going to include some special videos that Dr. Wang is providing to us along uh, with this interview. You want to share quickly what those videos are going to show? Um, yes, um, uh, there's a few videos. We're going to put a one little video, it's about two minutes, about uh, my autobiography from Darkness to Sight, which has been talking, it's been made into a film, Sight now, co-starring Greg Kinnear as one of the actors in the movie. And the second video is a video about um, the, the movie God's Not Dead, in which the Chinese student in the movie God's Not Dead is actually modeled after my life. So it's a little clip of that movie, God's Not Dead. And third is a little video about one of our foundations, the Blind Orphan Children Patient. And to show that when even there's no light that's coming from outside, light could emanate from within if one has love. And um, this is the remarkable story um, of a little girl named Kajal from India and also a remarkable story of a girl uh, from Moldova, Maria, and like, like their, their courage to face the challenges and their ability to be at peace with the tragic past and uh, embrace the present and the future should inspire all of us. Well, they inspired me in this book, and so I can't wait to see them. I'm going to bring some tissues when I go see that movie because it's okay. definitely coming out. Really, thank you again so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. And best wishes, Barbara, to your show, American Sneakers. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, everyone, there you have it. Was that an amazing interview or what? Thank you so much to Dr. Ming Wang for sitting down with us and sharing his incredible, powerful, and inspiring story. Look, episodes like this is what American Snippets is all about. We want to remind people how amazing this nation is, what our core values and principles are as a country. And it's all about freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People are fleeing oppressive regimes and governments and communist countries from all over the world to come here to America for freedom and what we have here. And people are taking it for granted. Things are being slowly whittled away. And people like Dr. Ming Wang are stepping up and speaking out to not only warn us, but remind us that freedom is a very fragile thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to americansivets.com forward slash newsletter. Check out the show notes that we have on Dr. Ming Wang's story. We do a little write up on him. And we also include some social media links there that you can use to follow Dr. Wang's social profiles and learn more about the work, the amazing work that he does as well. And if you got any value out of this episode, if Dr. Ming Wang moved you, you love what we do here at American Sippets, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Help us get these stories out there in front of more people. Share this podcast with a friend. Share one of your favorite episodes on social media. Make sure you follow us on social, American Snippets at Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. 
And don't forget, we have our community of patriotic, freedom-loving Americans who believe in our nation's core values and the American dream. That's thegreatamericansyndicate.com. And in January of 2022, we are bringing our first ever inaugural event to Irving, Texas. It's called the Great American Summit. We are showcasing the very best of America and all proceeds from this event are going to be granted back to charities that support veterans, active duty military, police, first responders, at-risk youth and their families. So we would love to see you involved. Sign up to our newsletter over at americansnippets.com so you can stay up to date when we release those tickets for sale. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. 